0: Welcome to today's show. We have the return of one of my best friends, Eric Gotti. Eric is the host of the Myths That Make Us podcast. He is becoming a regular on this show. We dive into, I think he refers to them as philosophers. They are modern day philosophers for sure, but uh, a series of podcasts we've been watching and listening to from Jamie Wheel and Daniel Schmachtenberger, along with one other brilliant mind whose name is escaping me right now. I'm sorry. I uh, I record these intros sometimes long after the fact, and I should just do it right after the episode like Rogan does, but I don't. So Lo Ciento, uh, this podcast is phenomenal. We talk about the world at large. We uh, reference game A versus game B in game theory and really dive into... Um, uh eisenstein's work the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible of course you've heard me reference that hopefully all of you have read that book but if you have not um don't worry you're not going to be uh left out of the conversation this is super dope um you know i absolutely love eric's mind he's a brilliant young mind but he's just a brilliant mind period uh Youth aside, he is fantastic. You know, as I've mentioned before, every time we do fit for service events, it's the time, the space in between, because we're always under the same roof. It's the space in between the uh, workshops that we put on. It's the space in between all the fun activities where we're just sitting on a couch, half dead, half awake, and rapping about life where I get some of the juiciest conversations I've ever had. So, Absolutely love this dude. know you guys are going to dig this podcast. Check out our sponsors. They make the show possible. And these sponsors are absolutely incredible. Sovereignty is one of my favorite companies on the planet. They've reformulated their old supplement Purpose to what's now called Purpose Plus. It's an Ayurvedic-inspired super formula that tackles daily energy and peak performance that will empower and support your mind and body to achieve new levels of productivity. Purpose Plus is a powerful blend of herbs and supporting constituents that energize and deliver what customers have described as Zen Focus. This Zen Focus is the result of a very careful combination of over 25 adaptogenic herbs, CBD and CBG. Those are cannabinoids, y'all, and seven clinically studied ingredients with scientifically supported synergistic supplements chosen for their support of cognition, energy, and mood. The result is Focus. You can feel. And many of you heard me talk about this uh, study that we did at my house with uh, Jason, the CEO of the company, he brought over a machine that checked my HRV as well as metabolic rate and a whole host of other things uh, in real time. So before, during, and after consumption, and within 30 minutes after I had increased my metabolic rate, meaning I had more energy on hand, and I increased my HRV at the same time. Now, I just seriously I don't think there's anything else like that on the planet that I know of. I certainly haven't heard of it and I've read a lot into the science behind what people label biohacking and shit like that but being a self experimenter self a sound like Joe Biden being a self experimenter for several years long before I got to on it and obviously you know I've been been gone from that company for over a year now I am I'm still a guinea pig and There is nothing that I know of where you take something that gives you energy, gives you mental clarity, jacks you up, but also increases the quiet inside, also increases HRV, also increases your parasympathetic, where you are calm but alert. This does it all. It's my favorite. It's an energy drink slash nootropic in a a little packet that you mix into water. You can take it with you anywhere, and you can get 20% off. Any purchase using code word KKP, just head over to HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash sovereignty.co. That is S O V E R E I G N T Y dot co slash Kyle. Grab my favorite CBG supplements and uh, that's it. And of course, just click the link in the show notes, but don't forget code KKP at checkout. We're also brought to you by Organify. We had Drew Canoli on the podcast, who is the Organify founder. Um, really fantastic dude. You know He he set out to inspire others by helping them transform their health through personal coaching programs. Uh, He quickly realized that there was a need for a solution that could give people access to the highest quality nutrition to support their health and wellness goals while on the go. This is true for anybody. Even if you didn't travel a lot last year like I didn't, if you're a dad or a mom or you're in a pinch for time or you're just fucking lazy because some days I'm lazy, it's really nice to know that I can whip up some Organifi greens in 30 seconds with no mess to clean up, no juicing stuff, none of this stuff. And, you know, even if I had, I, I had a really nice juicer for a long time. I ended up giving it to Goodwill. Even when I had that thing, I wasn't juicing, juicing, juicing Sean Connery. Now I wasn't juicing ashwagandha. I wasn't juicing chlorella. I wasn't juicing a lot of the ingredients that you find in the organic greens mix, and it tastes phenomenal. So I'm getting ingredients that I'm never going to get in my daily diet. It tastes incredible. It's so good. My six-year-old likes it, uh, and we use it daily. I mean, it's just an excellent way to round out an already balanced, awesome, meat-friendly, organ-friendly diet that we all subscribe to in this household. Uh, But of course, we want our greens, we want our reds, and we want our gold. And the turmeric that's in the gold drink alongside lemon balm is an excellent way to quiet the mind at night. So love the gold at night, love the greens in the morning. Check it all out over at Organifi. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash K-K-P. Use code word KKP for 20% off at checkout. Last but not least, we're brought to you by Biome Health The company co-founded by the renowned scientist who named the mycobiome, not the microbiome. Not to be confused with microbiome that is bacteria. We're talking mycobiome. We're talking fungi. Dr. Mahmoud Ganoum, who has been on this podcast before with his son, Afif, they're coming back later this month. Uh, They've created an online interactive gut assessment tool based on nearly five years of collected microbiome data, one of the largest comprehensive microbiome data assets in the world. Consumers can log onto guttesting.com to answer a short series of demographic health, lifestyle, and diet questions. Once they've completed the questions, which takes about two minutes, I did it. They will be given the insights regarding the likelihood of their gut being imbalanced, their associated gut score, and whether they are more likely to have higher levels of candida, something my wife and I dealt with for over a year combating. It's no fun when you get a candida overgrowth uh, compared to levels normally found in the gut. And I just did this test because it's new. And it turns out that I've got pretty fucking awesome gut health. And I feel that way. I feel it. I live it. Unique from other online health quizzes that simply apply widely available research, Biome's biome Health's Gut Assessment gives consumers insight based on analysis of millions of proprietary data points that incorporate microbiome data with clinical data, including diet, exercise, stress, and lifestyle information. Answer honestly, folks. The algorithms were created by incorporating the data from biomes at home microbiome tests, the biome gut test. Highly recommend getting that as well. That assesses both the bacteria and fungi of an individual's microbiome with additional clinical and lifestyle data. These guys are the holy grail when it comes to understanding what's going on inside your gut. Of all the experts that I've had on gut stuff, these guys have worked with more people and they just know more inside and out. They, they truly do. I mean, uh, Dr. Mahmoud Ghanoum wrote a thesis, his thesis to get his PhD on candida 40 years ago. So they're studying the the, the microbiome, as he called it. They're studying the fungus and fungal network that exists within the bacterial network that exists within the network of all of our insides. And that relationship is just as important as the bacteria, just as important as the food we put in our body. And you want to have balance there too. This is one of the easiest ways to figure that out. Everyone's always asking me about how do I fix my gut? Do I have leaky gut? Is there an imbalance? Something feels wrong? Check it all out at guttesting.com. That's where you're going to find everything. And uh, these guys, again, they've got amazing probiotics, the whole deal. Use code KKP to save 20% off for all my listeners. So guttesting.com, code KKP. And without further ado, my boy, Eric Godsey. Easy peasy. (laughs) Ah, All right, Um, my dude Eric Godzi, thank you for coming over. Man, thank
1: you for having me. It's been a minute since we last did a podcast together,
0: just us. Yeah, so like uh, I don't know. It seems like a month, but it's probably been longer. And last time you were here, we had uh, everything was on the other side. Yeah, it's like a year ago. So we swapped it around. It's a year ago? No, really? I mean. I'm going to guess like nine months. We'll, we'll have to look this up. now. we'll look this up right now. There's no way it was a year ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's no chance. I got alien videos playing in the background. That's get what it. I was doing to prep for this podcast, Ooh, aliens. I actually
1: haven't shared it anywhere, but I had my first experience of something that I couldn't explain with my Jungian model Ooh. that other people would call aliens. We could
0: potentially get into that. Okay, I like this. Yeah, let's get fucking weird. All right. You're going to be... Not when you released it. All right. You were October recorded. 27th. We was, didn't record it. It was when it was six released. Six months. Yeah, October 27th, son. All right. But still a chunk. I mean, you're you're a quarterly guy. You're not a twice a year guy. Nah. You're a quarterly yeah. guy. Come on, son. Let's go. All
1: right. Um, And that actually might be, that story might be an interesting segue into all the things that you and I have been talking about recently. So maybe that's where we start. Let's start. Okay. So, uh, for people who don't know me, um, I have a pretty strong affinity for a Jungian interpretation of the psyche. And essentially what that means is that whenever anyone has told me an alien story, uh, I do my best to listen, but they can feel that I'm not actually listening and that I'm waiting to share my interpretation of the alien experience. And my interpretation is always that it's a archetypical manifestation through the unconscious that can feel like a vision and can sometimes be so real that it feels like it's actually happening, where it's a part of your psyche taking on a form to communicate something to you. And I actually think that a lot of people's experiences are that. But before, a month ago, I thought all experiences were like that. And <clears throat> I had seen a documentary last year called Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. Mm-hmm. And that was the first... I think it. Yeah, that was the first documentary that I'd ever seen about aliens where it felt like it, it fit into my understanding of how things intuitively operate that all other alien documentaries haven't vibed with me like for example uh the idea that the aliens would have bodies like ours would have to create ships that are oddly like ours that coincidentally fit the aesthetic of the 50s in the US and that they would operate under the same laws of physics as we understand them Uh, and that they had the same evolutionary uh, process that happened on their planet where they have eyes in the front of their head and they have 10 fingers or eight fingers, that they even have fingers. Always felt like the people who came up with these stories don't understand how evolution unfolds and um, don't understand how the human imagination creates gods and things. But in Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, One of the things that he talked about was his experience with aliens, are that, and that's such a misnomer word, but that his experiences with this type of consciousness is that they essentially exist outside of space time and that they're able to like merge into space time if they feel like there's something intelligent to commune with. And so humans who can get in a certain vibratory state become like a beacon. They can just phase in and then they transmit something. And I just kind of let it fall off, you know, like, cool. Like that resonates, but I don't know what to do with it. I'm not going to go out into the woods with my friends with laser pointers. and Camping to, trip. It's go time. And actually, So here's what's really interesting. Um, when we did the Fit for Service Summit in Costa Rica, kind of my big download that felt like the culmination of that entire trimester, which was connecting to the divine feminine, was that uh, the spirit of the psychotherapy that I feel called to bring into the world as my like, life purpose uh, is not going to be taught to me through books. It's going to be taught to me by plants. It's going to be taught to me by nature. And the big call was like, put down your books, boy. I'm like, get out into nature. And that was the big download for me f- from that summit. And when we were on the plane home, uh, Vi, Aubrey's wife was beginning to read a book and she looked up from the book at me and she was like, Eric, you have got to read this book. You would resonate with this guy so much. He's like a depth psychologist that uses nature to explain Jungian ideas. And I was like, okay. And, uh, I have a stack of probably about 40 books next to my desk and that's my current queue. Mm -hmm. And so whenever someone recommends me a book, you know, Four out of five times, I'm like, "Yeah, that sounds good," but in my head, I know I'm not going to read that. Like, it's fuck not- off! I don't have time right. next year to read it. <laughs> and then, like, sometimes I'll like add it to the queue, and almost never do I internally think I'm going to put that at the front of the entire queue. And for whatever reason, because this was like the third time that I'd heard this man's name, his name is Bill Plotkin. Um, I was like, I, I could feel I'm going to put that at the front of the queue. Like, I can feel the call because it resonated with what the download was from the summit. When I get home that night on my desk is an Amazon package and I go and I open it and it's the exact book that she recommended. And I just get a wave of goosebumps. And I remember that the day before the summit, my roommate had mentioned that book and I'd bought it on a whim on Amazon. And I had forgot that I'd bought it. It was just like interesting. So for the next like four or five days, um, I just devour this like 380 page book. Like I probably read two to six hours a day and I haven't done that since I found maps of meaning by Jordan Peterson. And I have this part of me that is like a wolf that if I sense that there's like a philosopher or a psychologist that perfectly fits what my life goal is, I devour, I devour it and I get obsessive and I haven't felt that way in a long time. And honestly, it feels good to feel that way. Um, I finished that book on Friday and that Friday I was going camping for the first time in like five years. And the camping trip was this like conscious community thing where we were going to take, we were going to do a mushroom ceremony on that Saturday out in nature led by a shaman with like 20 people. And, So I get there, I get, you know, into the camping vibe and I just feel how much I fucking love it. Like the entire Bill Plotkin book is just emanating in my mind as I start watching like the intelligent of ants and caterpillars and all sorts of things. And that Saturday morning, um, there was this mystical looking pond that was right next to my tent, um, that felt like it was a dream scene like the way the landscape was first the pond was a perfect circle like it was a naturally occurring perfect circle i've never seen a pond like that and the way the uh hill or the edge of the pond was it's like it was like a 9 foot like hill all the way around it covered in trees so when you stood at the center of the dock that kind of went into the middle of the pond from that vantage point, you could all you could see was sky and the pond. It's like the entire world was gone and it was only this pond. And it felt special. And I was talking to my friend about how one of the big things that reading this book, it's called The Journey to Soul Initiation, which by the way is revolutionizing my understanding of the psyche. And we can get into that if it comes up. But I was explaining to him essentially how for the first time in my life, I can feel myself slowly begin to dissolve the disassociation I've had since I was born about my disconnection from nature and that I was just beginning to feel like the profundity of the grief of being a part of a system that is eating nature, devouring her. And I was saying how like, I could feel that I have to reorganize all of my ego goals for the rest of my life because I can no longer pursue anything that doesn't involve trying to help heal nature. And as I said that hundreds of crickets, the moment I said that sentence started singing. And my friend looked at me like, dude, do you realize what just happened? And so that felt like a God moment or a nature moment. And then, so two hours later, we started the mushroom ceremony and it was this beautiful uh, despacho ritual that we did for like an hour where there were like nine different types of like uh, fruit or candies. And we all put a prayer into it and we put it into this um, big piece of paper that was going to be wrapped up and thrown into this huge bonfire that was on the land. And uh, I ended up doing four grams and, um, At the peak of the experience, so we were all laying down looking up at the sky and almost everyone was underneath this tree canopy and me and my roommate, my friend who was with me at the dock, we were the two that were just outside of the canopy of the tree so I could see the sky and it was in the evening and um, at the peak of my experience, I saw this light in the sky and my first thought was, oh, I'm seeing the first star, you know, like of the night. And here's where it starts to get so fucking interesting. Um, It feels like in response to me having that thought, the light started to move. And the moment it started to move, my next thought was, oh, this is a mushroom tracer. You know, like this is like a aberration of, you know, being on four grams of mushrooms. And then the moment I said that, it felt like it in response to me turned up the dial of its density. Like it went from being this like kind of like uh, transparent light to being this solid light. And I mm-hmm. thought, Oh, I'm having, you know, like an archetypical experience where my unconscious is trying,
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> Wait, it,
1: it, <laughs> I'm stubborn. And it was funny. So um, the moment I start to interpret it like that, it felt like, from my experience, that thing, in response to me thinking that it was an archetypical representation of my psyche, it felt like it, like if a wild animal locks eyes with you, kind of that felt sense of now you and it are connected, it felt like it locked its consciousness with me. And then my felt experience was that it turned up the dial of my mushroom experience and instantly doubled it and I felt myself like go fundamentally deeper into the mushroom experience and then I saw that fractal geometry of the flower of life just embedded in everything and then wrapped around that point of light in the sky it felt like it was um it felt like it was like giggly like fucking with me And I've done the psychedelic experience enough to know like, okay, this is the point where you stop and you just receive. And so it felt like the message was that light was saying to me, um, you humans don't have to do this alone. And it felt like it was talking about trying to save and heal nature. You have allies. And the moment it transmitted, you have allies, two more points of light, like phased into existence behind it. But that, the front one felt like it was the one that was talking to me. And then it felt like it conveyed and we can do it playfully. And it does this little twirl. And um, I'm just completely surrendered to this experience. I'm not trying to interpret it at that point. And I believe that I was like, I accept that this is an intelligence outside of my psyche. And almost in response to me thinking that the way the light moved, is it. Looked like it moved into the twig of the tree, you know, like the a, the a branch of a tree was in between me and it, and it felt like it moved into it. And the moment it did, my psyche was like, "Oh, that was the spirit of the tree talking to me." Like it, it still was. <laughs> <laughs> it was, and and in response to me thinking that, it popped back out, almost like it was tell like. That it again was like, gotcha, bitch. You know, like, (laughs) so it felt like it rebuked me in real time five times as I tried to interpret it as an intelligence that wasn't outside of the human condition. And it was at that point where I felt myself like be able to feel I can't connect to how big this is right now, but I know that this is going to change my conception of cosmology. And as it was starting to continue to move, I had this feeling of, wow, I don't feel called to like yell to the people around me, look, alien. Cause that felt like that's something that someone who doesn't believe does because they need other people to witness it. But the felt sense was if I did, they would have seen it. Like that was how visceral this felt. And then like a giggly part of me was like, and also screaming alien while 20 people are doing mushrooms is probably not the right
0: <laughs> move. Um,
1: and so that was the experience. Uh, and I'm, I'm still integrating what it means. But what it reminds me of is when I was a materialistic rationalist um, back when I was like 19 and 20. I had started doing psychedelics, you know, uh, almost every weekend for like three months, but I was still like, you know, this is something that the brain does when you put a chemical into it. It's really cool. But I wasn't nearly as open to there being almost like a transpersonal aspect of each individual that transcends what the ego can know. And I remember, um, I was walking around my neighborhood, reading a book Uh, I was the type of insane person where I would go on like two or three hour walks and I would bring a book with me and I would read the book. And I can't imagine what I look like to the people who were you know, in their homes. But I got to this point in this book where there was a quote from a psychologist and he was saying, uh, the way to walk the earth like a prince is to cast golden apples for other people to eat and for you to finish your apple on your deathbed. And I thought, that's fucking poetic. That's awesome. I look up from my book in the middle of the road, in the, in the Texas suburb, in summer, where there are no apple trees anywhere, there is a single apple in the middle of the road that I just turned on. And it was one of those red and gold apples. And the part that was facing me was all gold. And you know, I had done DMT. I had done a bunch of mushrooms, a bunch of LSD. And none of those experiences felt like they cracked me. But this apple in the middle of the road on a day that I was completely sober cracked me. Open to to a worldview that I live in effortlessly now, this experience with that point of light felt like that where it felt like I can feel that I don't understand the profundity of this experience, but I can feel that it's going to fundamentally transform the way that I view everything. And that was about a month ago, and um, since then. A lot of really intense, interesting things have unfolded for me personally, but I want to stop there and just let anything that comes up for you be shared. But uh, that's what happened a month ago, and I haven't shared that story public.
0: That's super dope, dude. <laughs> so I, I think this this started because I, I told Eric that I had I uh, was watching an alien video before before he came over when he was driving over. And I don't, uh, I don't often, I, let's see, I've like I, I watched Bob Lazar, Area 51. That was fantastic, um, which fundamentally does operate differently than our current understanding of physics, right? Element 115 and uh, anti-gravity or the bending of space, that kind of shit. Now it, they, they pull themselves to a location rather than pushing against something. That was a really uh, attractive uh, video. I loved him on Rogan's. But I've always always been attracted to it. I've had, I had a story similar to that, but one thing I wanted to bring up was I was very similar to you in <laughs> in thinking that there's no way... Like, I thought it was stupid on Star Trek that they were basically a human with a fucking green face, right? Like, come on, you can do better. I really loved the arrival as they had yes. you know, this, this septopod. Yes. And I was like, of course, octopus is fucking super intelligent. Dolphins are super intelligent. You know, if they had... A means like an octopus can fit into any space. It can manipulate things with all of its arms. Its arms are able to think in and of themselves, independent from the other arms. Fuck yeah, why not? You know, um, but Paul Chuck said something. He had a he had a uh, podcast with uh, with a past life regression person who learned from Dolores uh, learned from Dolores Cannon um, learned from her main teacher. And she started getting downloads from Dolores Cannon and looked her up and realized she had had died that year. Like super cool shit. Um, And, uh, you know, I've never... My my wife and I, of all the things mystical, have had the least experience with past lives. I don't remember any. I've had maybe one vision where it felt like a past life. Um, But she had taken Paul through it. You know, he was like, I want to take a deep dive before we talk about this on the podcast. That way I know for certain he had already done past life regression, but he noticed that there was a few where he was on different planets and he had a very similar body. And he said, that was curious to him. And the thing that she said was, um, if it is useful, nature reuses it, right? So like, it is possible that the archetypical form that human beings inhabit is something that's useful and is across the cosmos redone in various ways, right? And it's also possible that, uh, potentially if we were looking at a gray or something like that, which of course is more imagination, in my opinion, than fact, that at least that also somebody was thinking clearly there in terms of like mouths are smaller, they probably eat less, they're less defensive, but we're originally predators, brain grows, they become telepathic, any of these other things where you could say like, maybe that's us just fucking 300,000 years from now. You know, like maybe if we move to a point where there's Less this or that, and more of one thing or another. We begin to use different parts of our body, and then other things are just like like we lose a tail or something like that. If you're going straight Darwinian, but um, I would argue that's not the case. You know, hence the the I mean, and, and either way, we we get lumped into the semantics of arguing certain points as with anything without really understanding what the common ground is. And I think that both can exist. Are we evolving now? I sure hope so. Evolution is still in its place because God is ever evolving. Is there intelligent design? It's un-fucking-deniable when you experience it for yourself in some of these medicine journeys or altered states of consciousness. Yes, this is intelligently designed, highly intelligently designed. Can the two coexist together? Yes. So it doesn't have happen to have to be a Darwinian theory of evolution, you know, a ticking clock type cosmos, Versus what we come to understand now, and books like the Quantum Revelation that I just finished, that I want you to read, and and, uh, and all my guests for sure. I mean, Chuck had me read that along with every one of his students, and Paul Levy's a wizard. I just had him on, uh, probably release after this, but fantastic dude. And like the, those understandings go more into the spiritual realm than they do into you know classic physics and things of that nature. But yeah, this stuff it it hypes me up, that, and, I, and I have friends that are like, oh, you know, the, the disclosure event's coming, and all this, and it's like, well, we'll see. You know, I, I had a I had a journey out of a Native American reservation back in the day where there was 13 of us. My old boxing coach that used to take us out there, he brought some 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 uh, some thugs. How else should I put it? You know, he brought some dudes that grew up hard in Eastside San Jose neck tattoos, the whole, the whole gamut and wanted to show them a different way of life. So we do the traditional sweat lodge together. Well, all the professional fighters that were there did mushrooms. And because a lot of the, um, a lot of the guys who grew up hard were uh, recovering addicts of some sort, they didn't have any drugs. They did a sober experience, but there was 13 of us, five fighters, eight dudes from East side. And all 13 of us, plus the coach stopped in our tracks after the sweat lodge, We're I'm on mushrooms. We walk out of this thing, out of the sweat and we look up in the sky and there's a ball of light and it's moving left. And then it moves right like pong. And then it moves up 45 degrees and then it stops and starts moving around again. And like these super odd motions and like all of us are dead silent, looking at the same thing without words. We just tuned into it immediately. All of our hands are on each other and we're like, Holy shit. And With, like, the full recognition of what it was, it got huge and then it went and was gone. So, I don't know if that contains, you know, highly intelligent beings. I don't know if that came from a different star system. I don't know if, like, Graham Hancock mentioned, you know, it's an interdimensional thing that can come in and out of our reality. Like you mentioned, you know, the possibility of maybe this exists outside of space time or in a different form of the all consciousness and can beam into at will to those that are tuned into the experience. I don't know, but it certainly feels like with regards to um, whether it be extraterrestrials or you know a consciousness that is a higher awareness than myself, it certainly feels like it's not just us and then God. It certainly feels like there is in between states of being that we can access. That likely, I mean, even if just you look at from a a, um, a purely you know ticking time clock, linear time fashion, the old the old statement that if our Earth is X billion amount of years old and um, you know just a star system that came around into being with a Goldilocks planet a million years before us. As a million years ahead of the game revolution, right like that that you think about that with what we just the 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 curvature that we just hit um, in our ascension technologically yeah right with what 's been available, and we 're living right through it right yes uh, and all the pros and cons of that yeah right all the pros and cons, all the potential evils, all the potential you know, the the, the nanotechnology being used against us and and all that shit, all of it there, but all of it is still the radical fucking uh, hockey stick up. Yes. Right. A million years from now, if we're not dead, where is that? Right. Like that, that's potentially what we're looking at when we come into contact with something like that. And of course, that's, what's funny about like the space force and shit like that. It's like, could there be nefarious beings that somehow got became technologically advanced? Yes, of course. But to make it that far and right. not kill yourself. Yep. With when you have weapons that that are that big. Like this is the crux in the road that we're at right now, and right?
1: So this is absolutely where I have been brought next which uh feels like it interweaves a bunch of things, but to get to this exact point I want to kind of lay out uh what's been unfolding for me. Is that so? One of the things that you said that's really interesting is this: what feels like a contradiction between there's Darwinian evolution and then there's intelligent design. Mm. And one of the things that has been um, capturing my ego, it feels like my daemon is calling me to explore since this experience. So the crux of this experience is that your life purpose to create this psychotherapy will be taught to you by nature. That, so she will take care of that. The daemon is done bringing me there. So it's starting to bring me to something else. And what it's finally brought me to for the first time in my life, it feels like it's drawing my genius towards trying to understand what is now happening in the world currently. Like for the last 10 years, it's felt like my daemon has told me that what I need to study is essentially the history of the psyche. And so the metaphor that I use is it feels like I've studied deeply the nature of each type of move that chess pieces can make on the chessboard. But I've always wanted to, but have never been genuinely called to learn what is the chessboard now? Where are the pieces now? And what are the strategies that have been played to get the pieces to where they are right now? And it feels like after this experience, um, my daemon has finally called me to learn that. And what I've been exposed to that I've been chomping on for the last like three weeks and I'm still digesting is essentially there's a group of modern philosophers. And I don't think any of them have written books because they're actively working on this in the moment. But um, for lack of a better word, they're kind of known as like the existential risk philosophers. And they've created this model of trying to understand how we've gotten to where we're at that they call game A. And that fundamentally, and I'm going to try to weave this thread because it feels like it crosses so many things that you just said, is that the fundamental principle of the universe seems to be what they call the principle of allurement. Things want to come together. And that if that wasn't there, we wouldn't even have an earth. You know, that the fact that subatomic particles want to come together to create atoms, and atoms want to come together to create reactions, and that leads to stars, and that leads to an earth, etc. And that the fundamental nature of this process of allurement is that two different things come together. They interact in such a way where they create what science calls emergence. And emergence is essentially the scientific word that you're allowed to use that essentially means magic. And what it is is that when certain parts come together, if they come together in a interesting way, they produce something that none of the individual parts have on their own. And that um, that's essentially called neg entropy. And entropy is when a system comes or when a system starts to break down, it has less order. Neg entropy is when things come together and they create more order. And one of the things that they talk about is that's actually the merger of Darwinian evolution and intelligent design that it's not random, but it also doesn't need a sentient creator to archetype it. And that the natural process of how things want to unfold is to create more elegant, order that creates emergence and that if you track how that has unfolded it eventually has created Gaia like the earth and that that eventually created carbon-based life forms and that carbon-based life forms are fundamentally gene vessels and genes have evolved to run a certain type of logic and the term that they use for this is called rivalrous game theory dynamics that the essence of biological life is to basically compete for, resource, for finite resources in an environment where they're trying to outcompete and deceive the other creatures that are trying to give those same resources as well. And that when everything is limited by the slow arc of biological evolution, there is a certain type of homeostasis that works on the planet. And that this weird creature comes along that has thumbs that somehow develops the ability for abstract thought. And that's us. And the moment we created the ability for abstract thought, we were able to create tools. And the moment we were able to create tools, we, we began to create a new environment that no other animal could access that became an evolutionary pressure on how we evolved and that's essentially culture and that with culture you know in in the blink of an eye in evolutionary time we were able to become fundamentally the apex predator of every environment on the planet but our genes still run the rivalrous game theory dynamics which is i'm a separate entity And I'm competing for finite resources and I will use deception and force and power to essentially try to win my finite game. And this perfectly weaves into everything that you were saying because as soon as you begin to run rivalrous game theory dynamics with exponential technological growth, it equals self extermination. And there's a couple of reasons or there's a couple of really clear examples about why that is. But uh, one example is that um, if you run rivalrous game theory dynamics on a finite planet, you eventually will destroy the environment by extracting all the resources. So that's one way that we could self-exterminate. The other is as soon as there become two to three different power structures that are all racing to create essentially AI weapons, that um, as soon as one person has that or one entity or one state or one country has that, the ability to end all life on the planet uh, enters play. And that's another way that we could self-exterminate. And that it seems to be that we're at this crux point in our exponential technological growth where we are living where it's starting to climb almost straight up. And that any culture that evolves beyond this point fundamentally has to change from game A to some new type of way of interrelating. And that the idea that any type of culture or civilization could get to the point where they were able to essentially do like interplanetary travel, it's almost certain that they're not running game A dynamics. And so they wouldn't even have the idea of conquest and destruction and. Killing, and the example that they use that's so elegant is um, game A theory or dynamics is best exemplified by how a cancer cell operates. A cancer cell, its ability to communicate with the other cells in the body breaks down to the point where its its belief is it's alone, and because it's alone, it has to maximize short term gains at the expense of the organism around it. And so it grows faster, it eats more, but eventually it destroys the host. The metaphor that they use to represent what quote-unquote game B would be, and we don't know what game B is because it's never existed before, is something like a healthy cell. And a healthy cell is a great example of this idea of emergence, that any individual cell has the genetic capability to live on its own if you put it in a petri dish for a certain amount of time it can self-replicate and grow and grow but if you put enough cells together in an intelligent way they begin to communicate in such a way that creates tissues and then when enough tissues come together it creates organs and when enough organs come together in an intelligent way it creates a being who is able to become self-aware of the process of evolution coming through it and that that's the idea of coherence or emergence, that uh, no individual cell has the type of self-aware consciousness that we do. But when enough of them come together, it creates this thing. And that uh, if we are going to have a civilization that our grandchildren's grandchildren will be alive for, their belief is we have to fundamentally move from a game A to a game B And this perfectly fits into what you were saying, which is that the idea that any type of one million years beyond a civilization that didn't self-destroy itself would operate under game A principles um, seems like a handicap of our current imagination about how a civilization would operate. And like... One of the things that's interesting to feel into for me is it's like one of the things that most conspiracy theories give the ego that actually feels good is it's like, this is something worth dedicating my life to. Like, it's such a big problem that, especially for men who kind of have that like heroic warrior archetype and they want to go fight for a cause, that conspiracy theories, and that's such a shitty word, but that these alternate theories for the way the culture is unfolding is alluring. But for me, my intuition has always felt like most of the stories I've heard feels like there's a little bit of truth in them, but that the conclusions that the people who talk about these stories have gotten to, it feels like very poorly written comic books that are meant for teenagers. Like this idea of there's this like, cabal of evil people that feed on the fear of children and then eat them, and then it makes them somehow super powerful and strong. They're able to organize everything. This is the first alternate story of civilization that feels like it is sober, quote unquote. Um, They haven't come to conclusions. Like it's this open-ended process, and it feels like it adequately takes in um, all of the amazing things that we have actually found through the scientific method that seem to hold up to skepticism and um, confirmation bias. And it feels like this is my quote-unquote conspiracy theory, even though it's that's the wrong word, uh, that feels like is orienting me in such a way where... I can no longer play a game of life where it's like, I'm just going to get my own. I'm going to crush it. And I want to have a healthy family. Like it feels like if I want to actually be a steward for my children and my children's children, I now feel like I at least have been brought to what feels like the big problem.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a lot. Thanks for jumping in on that. Um, to be clear, we've, we've discussed many conspiracies on this podcast that I don't believe are, are theory anymore, particularly with pandemic indoctrination. At the same time, there can always be a need to take something further. You know, uh, I'm buddies with Tim Kennedy, and uh, something he's talked about at his Sheepdog responses are the amount of women that have survived as sex traffic workers you know, then take his courses. Uh, Aubrey, our brother Aubrey had, had a, um, I think it was a Navy SEAL on his podcast yeah. who had, you know, had gone to um, Haiti and different places where it's rampant, you know, and he's on a mission to free people from uh, these experiences. Entire books have been written about this stuff. I don't know, I don't, I don't have experience, direct experience with, That I don't have direct experience with luciferic, you know, satanic, you know, demonstrations and and things of that nature. It it does seem you know a little bit like the comic book stuff you're you're mentioning. And the 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 issue I just want to say though is that it's not a conspiracy that sex trafficking is happening. Completely. If you add a little mustard to it. That's maybe the stretch that is or is not happening. Exactly right? yeah. That I cannot confirm or deny. You know, like something I've said many times on this podcast is I don't have a problem with David Icke talking about reptilians and all this other weird shit that I don't think anybody could confirm or deny. I have a problem with what he's been right about. That's what I have a problem with. You know what I'm saying? So it's not, it's not, um, you know, I can't read one of his books and be like, hey, yeah, hundred percent. No, there's a lot of stuff that I can't tell uh, if it's spot on or not. And there's a lot of stuff that has been predicted from him. And that is coming to fruition right now that is more hair raising than the stuff I cannot confirm. Right. Um, So, you know, I just did a, a, a live for the folks on the Fit for Service Academy app, which is out now. Plug, plug, plug. <laughs> uh, Fit for Service Academy app. Try it for a first month for free. Get them. Download it on iTunes and <laughs> Apple Play and everywhere else. You get uh, live sessions with me, my boy Eric Godsey, Caitlin Howe, and Aubrey Marcus, as well as many other awesome master classes available everywhere. Um, but we talked a lot about this. We talked about food shortages, the state of the game. We talked about some very real players in the game, Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum, and an agenda that's behind social engineering, right? Which is very, very much game A. And um, one of the things that I was saying through all of this, because I get fucking hyped and I'm talking a million miles an hour and there's a lot of passion there, um, is that, you know, we're only doing half our job if we're pointing out what's wrong. Mm. We're, we're only doing half our job if we're saying this is what's going to happen that's bad. We have to empower others. And, yes. and that's a part of what these podcasts are about, whether it's from a health and wellness standpoint, from uh, from a, a psychological standpoint or a um, spiritual standpoint, it always has to be taken back to the practical. And one of the examples I gave him that you talked about was, you know, this year's coursework, people ask me about what are you guys learning in fit for service? What are you teaching? Sacred feminine, first trimester, sacred masculine, and then sacred union. Those are fucking really out there concepts for a lot of people. Our job is to bridge that gap from archetypical symbology and spiritual uh, fluff to a hands-on approach of how you embody yeah. these things, right? And... Um, really what we're speaking about here with game b is a fundamental view of what what we're doing here and and how we engage with what we are a part of yes right and that takes a shift in consciousness yep completely. and that's that's been you know me you aubrey that's been our move from the jump from the moment we've had these connections made with plant medicines and with each other and and the books that we've read to start to bridge the gap for others in, in how we view the world and how we interact with it, right? Yes. I think one of the main pieces, um, differentiators uh, between last trimester and this trimester is if the feminine is about listening, receiving, uh, quiet time, stillness, the masculine or being, right? Then the masculine is the doing. It is the action. And you, me and Aubrey did a podcast on that recently. That's on Aubrey's podcast, but it is right action. Yes. And, you know, there are many ways we can go about this, but I think right action and how we show up in the world is of critical importance, not just for me to get the most out of my life, but for me to be able to deliver that downstream for the people that come after me, seven generations after me. So I want to segue into... something that you've been working on for quite some time because really it is the the practicalness of, of a system that you've put in place for us to make the most out of our experience here, but to do so in a way that fundamentally changes the way we view the world, that fundamentally allows us to reach our goals exponentially, not faster, but just on a, on a track that allows us to move through this world with greater and greater and greater awareness. Yes. So
1: this perfectly connects, and I couldn't agree more. And the one thing I was going to say earlier that I really want to articulate is um, almost the root of all these conspiracies is that there is a very real problem that is happening that people are looking away from, and that that's the beginning of these trails. Uh, What feels like the comic book is that people, instead of allowing themselves to be in the uncomfortable uncertainty of why, This problem exists. They reach into the darkness of what they don't know and attempt to become certain about why it is. And then that's when I think we start to get into our mythical and fantastic thinking because we won't allow ourselves to simply say, I don't know why, but it is, and I want it to be better. And so that was the thing that I wanted to articulate there. Why this game A and game B thing has resonated with me so much is because it perfectly fits into what I have been um, unconsciously teaching or not even aware of what I was teaching and that it perfectly fits into what feels like the big aha moment I got from Bill Plotkin's model of the psyche. And it's that um, your soul. So I will be radical and say, I believe you have a soul. And uh, the way Bill Plotkin defines soul is that soul is not a spiritual thing. It's a fundamentally ecological phenomenon. And the soul is the intuitive knowledge of the organism about how to be in its environment in a way that's harmonious. And that every creature, even rocks, even dirt and air has a soul and that it knows how to be in the ecosystem of nature in a way that says yes, more life and that our culture is fundamentally out of alignment with that soul. Like we haven't developed a culture that's in alignment with the soul of the earth yet. And that he, he creates this eight stage model of the development of the psyche and that um, it's, there's two stages for childhood, two stages for adolescence, two stages for adulthood, and two stages for elderhood. And it's a circle. And that um, most people in power on this planet, he says roughly 80% of the people in Western culture, they're stuck at stage three. but They think that they're adults. And stage three is early adolescence. And the goal of, of stage three is to find your authentic place in culture where you're in authenticity with what your ego is. So you're honest and you have found a way to acquire status. And most people never achieve that, but that that's, that's early adolescence and that the goal of stage four is to begin to actually dissolve your ego to the point where you can connect to for the first time, truly to what your soul calling is. And then, at the end of stage four, he calls it entering the cocoon where um this is where, and only if you know a very small percentage of people get to this point, which is this is not the dark night of the soul; this is the three years of darkness going into the depths of what your soul is asking you to be, and that people who go through that descent into soul and then they get what he calls their mythopoetic identity, which is essentially what they're going to do with the rest of their life that serves nature, which is almost which doesn't give a fuck about what your state and culture is or what your social status is or any of that stuff. And that if you move through that, you move into stage five, and that's early adulthood. And the qualifications in his model to be an adult is someone who has discovered their sole purpose has created a craft that allows them to express their soul into the world. And they're good enough at expressing their soul through their craft that it's for the benefit of other people. That's like a Martin Luther King. That's like a Gandhi. That's what he says is the average healthy young adult of a culture that's in alignment with nature. And he believes that the most fundamental way that we can save the earth is to bring as many young adolescents who are stuck into adulthood. And that's why, like, what I have done with the Dharma Journal, which is the thing that you were, rec- or that you were referencing, that I've spent the last six months on, is it's essentially creating an internal map through using the language of dreams, which is the language of the unconscious, to connect to that thing inside of you that I call the daemon, which I believe is the servant between the ego and the soul. And that um, to create a inner experience that allows that thing to begin to talk to you. And then to create an inner temple that you can go to every day to hear what that thing is asking you to do today, just today, to begin to walk wherever it is that your soul is asking you to go to really go die to become who you could be because fundamentally it feels like um, we don't know what game B is, but what we need to do to begin to bring game B into existence is to learn how to navigate our daily experience. And what I have found through coaching and through teaching and through my own experiences is that we all have a internal guide, and it's the thing that pings you that we call intuition or it's that still whisper that lets you know yes to this or no to this or good job. This is exactly what you're supposed to be doing or this is not what you're supposed to be doing. And um, it feels like one of the most healing things that I can possibly contribute to culture is to help people first connect to that And then to cultivate a faith and a confidence through the felt experience of their life becoming better every day, that this is the proper way to orient yourself. Because the current climate that we're in, and this is something that these philosophers articulate in a way that just makes me shudder. And whenever I explain it to anyone, they shudder, which is because of the way game A operates. Um... There is essentially a environment that has been created where countries and corporations are competing with each other at getting better and better at manipulating you so you will act in a way that keeps them alive. And the ultimate way that this has played out in our current culture is um, how social media operates. And the way that they paint this picture is... Um, Every major social media, so YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, they are running the most powerful versions of AI algorithms to optimize for the amount of time you spend on their site. And for most people who are not consciously operating, the thing that they have found that keeps you on site is if you're afraid or you're angry. And so these algorithms, and just to give context, you know, in the 80s, we created Deep Deep Blue, which was a computer that was meant to play the greatest chess champion in the world in chess and Deep Blue easily beat the greatest chess champion in the world, and this was back in the 80s. The computer that is optimizing for you to spend time on site is exponentially more powerful than that computer, You have not trained your entire life to be an expert at playing the game that this computer is an expert at. And you don't even know that you're playing the game when you're on these social media sites. And what these social media sites are showing you is essentially how you should think about the world based off of what gets you the most angry or the most scared. And so people's navigation system, most people's navigation system has been hijacked by these algorithms and people get stuck in these reality tunnels that dominate them in fear and uncertainty. And there's this acronym called FUD that is a game theory dynamic that uh, powerful entities will use to control populations. And it's fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And this is actually game plans that different organizations through the last 80 years have articulated that they use a psychological warfare on populations that they want to make more easily controllable and they found that if we can make people afraid uncertain and doubtful of their own inner guidance system they will default to following strong authority and you know it's dramatic and i'm dramatic but fuck it is that um It seems to be one of the most revolutionary acts that I have some skill at being able to offer any type of solution to is to help people reclaim a faith and a certainty in their inner guidance system. And that's why I advocate for journaling. Like one of the things to connect to is, at least for me, I had no place in the world or in my life where I had dedicated solitude with the intent of feeling what my truth was currently. And it wasn't until I was about 25 where I started doing this. And it radically changed my life. And all I was doing was just trying to articulate to myself what the truth was. And like, I came from poverty. I came from uh, having almost no options before me. And beginning to do that got me on the path to eventually get, you know, to where I am now. And in the last three years, the like upgrade to the journaling practice that I didn't really know how to articulate or to teach was adding into it this faith in my daemon. You know, and I essentially made this commitment three years ago that whenever I hear a clear call from my daemon to do anything, regardless of how afraid I am to do it, I'm going to do it. And in the three years after making that commitment, I went from being broke, living with my mom, but not even admitting to myself that I was actually living with my mom. It was an extended vacation stay <laughs> to being at the point now where um, you and Aubrey are my peers. We've all been able to create companies and we're, and we're a part of this thing that's actively changing people's lives that I get to witness every time that we have a summit and that I, I, I truly believe that the thing that has brought me here is that commitment and that the Dharma Journal is essentially my best current attempt to share the inner navigation system that brought me from there to here that I truly believe is going to help me navigate for the rest of my life and you know there's a part of me that has that struggles with articulating like the things that I'm actually good at and the things that I'm competent at. And I truly believe that the guided meditations that I've put into this Dharma journal is the best magic I've ever created. And that um, if people take the time, it's six days. If they take the time to actually do the guided meditations each day and then to do the writing prompts, they literally will end up with a situation where they will have a daily meditation that is 11 minutes. That will help them connect to their daemon viscerally for that day to enter their inner sacred temple, commune with their higher self, and have a clear download of what the sacred task for them to do today is. And I think that that's how we can figure out what game B is, is to get as many people as possible to start to orient, not to the FUD that's coming through the algorithm of social media, but connecting to the daemon inside of them that knows what their soul already
0: is. Fuck yeah, brother. <laughs> and it is, it is incredibly beautiful what you put together too. You know, I, I was uh, just from a, um, what do they call that in computing? Uh, the user interface yeah. is phenomenal. Thank it's you, absolutely man. stunning. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, it is a beautiful thing. And i I've, I've Thankfully, since I've been working with you long enough, you know, I've been around for at least a couple of your guided meditations and they're incredible. They're incredible. And that that's really something that I've, I mean, we all get to witness, the flowering of each other yes. when we're, we're in this container. And that's been a beautiful thing to be a part of. Um, you just, you guys just launched this, right? Yeah, probably about two weeks ago. Okay. Incredible. Well, we're going to have that linked in the show notes for people. Um, What else is going on? We were barely cracking the hour mark here. Yeah. So one
1: of the things that I'm trying to um, like really get clear on is uh, how to create a map of communication that calls in game B. So um, one of the things that you and I have found through coaching is the thing that One of the things that most resonates with people is whenever we give them any good tools for how to talk to other people. Like one of the things that we've talked about over and over and over again is nonviolent communication. Another thing is the three levels of anger that Mary Margrave taught you. And I'm sure that you've talked about both of those things a lot on this podcast. And one of the things that I'm connecting to is it's journaling for me was the first step in learning how to actually communicate. And it began with myself. And that the very next step, which is where I'm still stuck, is how do you communicate with, other, with your intimate others? And that's where nonviolent communication and the Mary Margrave anger levels come in. And what the philosophers who are talking about game B are focused on is like we don't know what game b is it's never existed but we do have ideas about what some of the core components of game b are and that the absolute core component is how you communicate because if you actually break it down to the core physics what creates emergence is when two different particles communicate in such a way that it creates neg entropy which is essentially emergence. And that um, if we can figure out how to communicate with each other like healthy cells do in a body, we would fundamentally realize what seems to be the shift in consciousness that has to happen for game B, which is, and this is something everyone's heard and almost no one operates on a daily basis from, which is we are all interconnected. And again, it's something that everyone knows how to say, Every every spiritual quote-unquote person knows how to have that conversation. of, And I realized that we were all interconnected. But then watch how they act that day. We act as if we are individual agents competing for finite resources in a savage environment most of the time. It's how we operate with our finances. It's how we operate with our food. It's how we operate with jealousy and envy and resentment and all these fucking things. And it feels like where I am called to really kind of bring my um, wolf energy that I shared with you earlier is to try to articulate like a map or a model to begin to help people communicate with first themselves in a way that creates emergence, and then with their intimate others in a way that creates emergence and then the big one is how do we talk about quote unquote the commons in a way that creates emergence and this is where all of us fucking suck and the commons is like an economic term for like the the culture you know like when me and you try to talk about what covid is that's us attempting to create coherence about the commons and uh because of the way of the because of the environment that we're in, it's so incredibly hard to even get there. Um, and then the last one is like how to communicate with nature in a way that creates coherence like the fact that we live in houses is like this is something that you and I are super passionate about to figure out how to bring all of those things into a place of coherence and one of the things that uh, one of the major philosophers of this group, Articulated that really resonated with me is that it begins with making a spiritual commitment to truthfulness. And truthfulness is not the same as truth. Truthfulness is what we mean when we say, speak your truth. It's not that you have access to capital T truth. I don't even know if it's possible. But truthfulness is essentially, I am genuinely articulating from my map about how I think the world is, what I believe. And that um. every time that you don't do that, every time that you're anything but truthful, uh, you are adding to the energy of game A. And one of the things that he articulates is there's multiple ways to lie. So there's of course outright lying, but there's lying by omission. And I do it every day. It's so hard, but it's like, I'm just not going to say that part because that might lead to a thing that I don't want to talk about right now. And then there's lying by emphasis bias is what they say. And so like, emphasy bias would be like the way most scientific research is done in the Western world is only studies get done that get funded. And the thing that funds studies tend to be corporations that have a profit motive or countries that have either a war motive or a power motive or a profit motive. And so the type of research that gets done has an emphasis bias Like there's thousands of studies done on this pharmaceutical trying to improve this symptom. There's almost no studies done on a natural resource that can't be patented to treat the same symptom because there's not an incentive behind it for the people that fund it. So that's an idea of empathy bias. And my super dramatic mythical mind, the way that I see this is the... There's the biological environment, and that's where genes mutate and evolve. And then there's the abstract cultural environment that has allowed us to become the most powerful animals on the planet. And I think of that as the zeitgeist, and that's its own environment. And you could say that that's the environment of ideas. And every time a signal or every time a message is produced by any organism that has lies in it, we're polluting the zeitgeist. Mm. And right now our zeitgeist is more polluted than the, more pollute, than the most polluted part of any area on earth. And okay. that if you imagine that the spirit of game B is like this organism that wants to grow out of the zeitgeist, because it needs to in order for us to continue, we have to heal the soil of the zeitgeist. And that every time I lie, I add to the pollution of the zeitgeist. And every time I choose to tell the, every time I choose to be truthful, I add a little bit of, you know, like microbiotic healing to the soil of the zeitgeist. And so the thing that I'm currently most invigorated about um, is how can I, you know, basically create a template that I can start using and then I can share with the people closest to me, and then I could maybe even start to teach as a course or whatever and I would just love to hear what comes up for you in you know me imagining that
0: yeah, I mean this is phenomenal, and you're touching on you know the the similar to Zach Bush and, and a lot of people on the terrain theory, you know like the terrain model and it's not necessarily one or the other um, with with regard to vi- virology I've talked with Rob Wolf about that, but in terms of uh, what we're talking about with game B, like you want there needs to be the right environment. That seed is already there. it's in the cosmic egg or yes. the cosmic womb of all infinite potentiality, the divine feminine. It exists already. How we give birth to that is by creating an environment that will sustain that. Yes. Right? And I think number one, that the consciousness itself has to evolve to be in a place to receive that. Uh, number two, on the more, that's the feminine to receive it. Number two, the masculine, we have to live that experience first. Right. I think that, that, you know, the Jamie wheels and the Schmachtenbergers and these people that are on the forefront of this and and us, it is to actually live it. And that's by taking the best pieces from the greatest thinkers we have and employing them and trying them on for size. So we have an embodiment of the potentiality of that environment that's necessary to give birth to this. Uh, Plotkin's work, being in nature, you know, like we just had Will Tegel on the podcast and and he talks so much of the eco field. I love that podcast so much. (laughs) So much of the eco (sighs) field. But that's the other thing to keep in mind, right? His downloads uh, in his own altered state of consciousness around the GPS system of Gaia, the GPS system of the solar system, the GPS of the Milky Way, the GPS of consciousness itself it, there is a guidance system yes. guiding us. Even, uh, I just started this book called the Yugas. Mm-hmm. You've heard of the Yugas uh, from um, uh, ancient India. They talked about the cyclical time. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it, most people have seen this as the golden age, the silver age, the the bronze age. Now we're in the iron age, the Kali Yuga. And the Kali Yuga is coming to a close. Thankfully, uh, I don't know if it happens in some, you know, uh, differentiation on when the Kali Yuga end and and when it be, and the next one begins, all of that stuff. But this basic understanding that through half of a 25,000 year cycle, we are in ascension and through half of a 25,000 year cycle, we're in descension and uh, we have descended, right? So <laughs> we're at that, again, right back to that critical point where the necessary changes start from within, be the change you wish to see. And that fundamentally starts with a lived experience of our interconnectedness. And a lived experience of the sacred hoop, knowing that that I mean, if you're not familiar with like Native American wisdom and stuff like that, or you didn't listen to Will Tegel, watch The Lion King. (laughs) Like that—that's the sacred hoop. Like that's that's what that one of the most important tales within that, within a coming of age, rites of passage, and any of these things, is the sacred hoop and the necessity that we live within that. One of the greatest takeaways for, and I'll link to this video in the show notes. Uh, from Ice Age farmer, in talking about uh, inflation the the ridiculous you know amount of money we printed over the last year, and um, food shortages, whether they 're manufactured or not, right manufactured um, supply chain issues that seem to be on the horizon for us is that at the end of the day we we have to empower ourselves by starting to do certain things, like grow our own food and all these things. Well, if you take that back to the layers of of what it's doing for us is it's reconnecting us yes. to the land. It's reconnecting us to what we put in our body, yep. what we eat. And that is health. That solves more than one system. It solves more than supply chain issues. It solves a deeper understanding of our relation yep. to all that is because we now have a relationship with an animal that we eat because we killed it. Or we, we know the rancher, we watched it get shot, we helped field dress it, right? Like we know all the components, you know the liver, you know all of the the, yes. the factors that went into that animal. And it's local, it's from the land that you live off of, yep. right? So I think um, those are some of the ways we live that experience and start to reconnect ourselves or Absolutely. remember ourselves yep. in in a new way. So uh my whole body shook when you brought up the Will
1: Tagel podcast because so the way that I learn or the way that I digest is I essentially like write myself an essay. And uh each time I've done this in the last year or two, they get longer and longer, and this one for sure will be the longest thing I've ever written because I'm trying to digest all this. And my intuition about what the introduction and the ending is is actually Will Tagle's dream that he shared at the beginning of the podcast. And his dream, and you touched on it a little bit, is that he had this dream where he saw the earth and at first he felt like it was like a spaceship and then he had this overwhelming transpersonal kind of psychedelic shift in consciousness where he realized it's an organism and it has a sacred guidance system and that he could feel that for whatever reason it was fundamentally changing its course. that It could, it could feel that it needed to. And the thing that he said on that podcast after that dream that just like hit my soul like a gong was um, nature is no, long, is no longer waiting outside the door. Nature is coming into our homes and that that's COVID and that that's the increasing environmental pressures and that there's this intuition in me that there's something about having to reconnect to the land In a way that it sustains you that intrinsically teaches you game B. It's not going to, it's not a panacea, but it begins to put you in an environment where in order for you to survive, you have to learn how to be in harmony with the ecosystem. If you're going to farm or even garden, you have to learn how to connect to the ecosystem and that there is something about that that will begin to unconsciously teach us how to think in game B way that we're dramatically disconnected from like one of my favorite quotes is by Marshall McLuhan and it's the tools that we create begin to create us and it's this idea that your environment and the and the things that you use have a feedback on you that is so much more profound than we give credit like one of the really interesting things to connect to from an evolutionary standpoint is We are by far, not even close, the most underdeveloped animal the moment it's born. And we are completely dependent on our parents or our caretakers for like a decade at least. And that's being super rapid. And that most animals, the moment they are born, have to begin to walk. Like within minutes And the idea is that we have evolved in such a way where it is now adaptive for us to not come into the world ready to fit the environment that we're in, but to come into the world completely neuroplastic to adapt to whatever the new environment will be. And so what that opens up is this realization that our belief of what human nature is, is radically, radically underestimating the effect of the environment that we come into and that most of us believe that our human nature is somehow like inherent in being in alliance with an incentive market that's about profit, um, in competing with each other for finite resources, in lying and deception and all of that. and. What would a human look like if they were born into an environment that had the leading edge of consciousness evolution that we've currently acquired and they grow up on the land and they learn how to farm and they learn how to hunt an animal and to kill it honorably and then to only eat the things that it's created and that they have to interrelate with other humans at a scale of 50 or 80 or 100 in order to meet their basic needs, but also had the connection to exponential technology and were taught that this could be used to heal the planet. You know, like we don't know what that type of human looks like. And one of the things that you and I both feel dramatically called to figure out how to do in our lifetime is how do we create that type of garden for a child to come into and for a child to be raised in? And this gets to a more interesting point. Um, There's so many people that I know who, and we've talked about this often in the last maybe week or so, who what they want to do is they want to win enough at game A So they can buy a piece of land and they can go create, you know, their community for their homies. And then they can just get out of the matrix and they can go be in that land. And that's their ultimate goal. And there's something about that that I deeply resonate with. But one of the things that has come into my experience in the last five or six weeks is it feels like if game A is not healed, if the matrix is not healed, There will not be a planet, no matter where, there will not be a piece of land, no matter where you go, that is going to have the ecosystem that can support human life in four or five generations. And so one of the things that we talked about is if you ever watch a child or like a young dog um, explore a new environment, if they're securely attached to the parent, babies and puppies will do the same thing. At first, they'll go explore like five or six feet away from you. And the moment that anything's too intense, they'll come back to home base and they'll just kind of like touch you and be around you for a moment. And the moment their nervous system regulates a little bit, they go out further and then they come back and then they go out further and then they come back and then they essentially start to just play. Uh, that's what I feel is the uh, best use case for that type of uh, dream that most of our friends have which is how can we create a beautiful mother to come back to, to regenerate our nervous system, but then we got to go back out and serve and try to do our best to bring as much of game B to game A. And the thing like one of the things that I've connected to um, since reading, at least the introduction of Jamie wheel's new book, recapture the rapture is it's like, We all, it seems to be an archetypical function of the psyche that we all want to believe in some type of rapture where it's like, as long as I'm doing something right, it's going to work out. And maybe it won't work out for a lot of people, but like me and my people, we will survive. We'll be the 144,000 that go to heaven or whatever. And there's something about, and there's a bunch of spiritual versions that are modern, that are the exact same, uh, archetypical structure as old rapture stories. And there's something about those that have never resonated with me. That something about it feels like, it feels like my soul is saying to my ego, oh, little boy. And that there is something about the soberness of this game A, game B thing where it's like, we could do our best and it still might not work. But the like call of the like true heroic adult is and i'm still gonna do my absolute fucking best anyways and it might not work
0: yeah there's a soberness to it and then at the same time especially because i have kids uh but um at the same time i've had i've had some visions where i've, I've moved far beyond like like the 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 attachment to like like nationalism or something like that. And like, like I fucking love the United States. Uh, I love Texas. I loved California when I lived there. I certainly don't love it now. Um, how we identify with those things. I've had that snapped in half. I've even had being a human snapped in half. Yeah, Like, Oh wow. You're attached to that. And there was like the (laughs) remembering of like, just kind of like a laughable blink of an eye experience of, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. It's just a, you know, bird's eye view until your bird's eye view is, is so far past it. Um, Doesn't mean I'm not going to do my best and certainly not going to want to, I mean, I want to provide and this place this is such an amazing place that we're in. You know, it is an amazing, amazing place. If there's one thing that I truly disagree with David Ikon is that uh, I, I do not think, I think this is the divine matrix. I don't think it's the, the devil's matrix. And I certainly don't um, agree with him on that, but maybe we'll find out about reptilians and all that shit with some disclosure. Uh, it's been fucking awesome having you on here. We we covered a lot of ground on this podcast, <laughs> from aliens to Schmachtenberger to to Will Tegel and consciousness itself, all the good shit, brother. And uh, we'll we'll link to the Dharma Journal in the in the show notes. I'm so pumped that that's been released, brother. Thank you so much for having me on, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, your podcast name is The Myths That Make Us. The Myths That Make Us. That's right. I'll remember that one day. I love you brother thank you for coming on love you too man